Um, I want you to go to John 4, and I just want to remind you of why we're jumping back into John chapter 4, all right? Uh, last year, we started a series uh, entitled Encounters with Jesus. Um, it really was a series uh, looking at John chapter, second half of John chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 in the Gospel of John. And really what it was uh, highlighting is these encounters that everyday people had with Christ, with the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, he met with fishermen very early on in John chapter 1, right? Uh, he met with people at a wedding, right? Uh, he went to a wedding. Uh, he met with high-ranking officials, religious leaders like Nicodemus. This morning, or even the last sermon we preached on John chapter 4, he met with a Samaritan woman, rejected people from society. John begins his gospel with this preeminence, with Christ's preexistence. Who was Jesus before he took on flesh? That's John chapter 1. But then right after that, he begins to come in the flesh and his ministry begins. Now for us, these stories of the disciples, Nicodemus, and even the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 are, are maybe nice stories for us to have. Even our kids probably know them from Sunday school. But they tell us more than simple nice stories. They, they tell us, they show us a deep, the, deep love of, the deep love of God that he has for all types of people. God loves all types of people, and he's after all types of people. And here's, let me give you some examples. He loves you who works nine to five on a regular job, which you maybe sometimes hate. Well, now it's virtual, so now you really hate it, right? Maybe it's your motherhood calling, right? That's your calling. That's what you do. Well, Jesus is after you. Maybe you're a small business owner, right? You're, small, you're a project manager. You're an architect. Whatever it is you do, if Jesus walked today, he would be meeting with you and having interactions with you. And so this is really what John John, uh, John chapter 1 through 4 really are all about. And so, but, but here's one question that I think I want to begin with this morning. Why is it that every person that Jesus meets in the Bible, um, or even, I mean, you could put, push it to us here, why is it that not everybody who meets and encounters Christ doesn't jump right into a relationship with Christ, right? What did, what did Nathaniel said in, uh, in John chapter 1? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? I mean, you hear of Jesus, first answer was, I don't know about this guy. What did Nicodemus do when he met Christ? He didn't fall in love with Jesus. Oh, man, you're so wise. You're amazing. I want to know more of you. No, he said, wait, wait, how, how does salvation work? You're saying that you have to be born again. How does a baby go back into the mother's womb, right? There, there was disbelief, misunderstanding of what Jesus was communicating. Not every encounter with Christ ends up with a miracle crusade or with a card being signed, or with hands going like crazy. Oh, man, I met Jesus. Finally, this is amazing. Have you ever asked yourself why that, why that is? Why is it that not every encounter is like a supernatural encounter for some, and maybe, uh, and, and yes, for others? And so this is where the, uh, we're going this morning. Uh, the title of the sermon this morning is called um, Jesus, the Revealer of All Things. The Revealer of All Things. And, and what I mean by that is that there is a measure of revelation there is a spiritual revelation given to us by the Spirit of God that each individual person needs to, for, for Christ to be known to them. Okay, let me, let me say that again. There's a revelation, a discovery, an unveiling of who Christ is that each person needs individually for them to come and know Christ. This is why you came to Christ through a sermon on, you know, God TV, and you became a Christian. This is why a guy like me read a paragraph from a book 
written, you know, 15 years ago, and I became a Christian, right? We all have different ways in which this revelation came to us, but it isn't until Jesus himself makes himself known to you through the spiritual revelation of, of who he is that we will um, ultimately come and submit to his plan and rule. Let me, let me put it this way, even, even biblically uh, a lot better. Ephesians 1.17, Paul prays for the Ephesians, and he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, look what he prays for, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? Revelation. Why? So that you may know him. You cannot know God without a revelation from Jesus, from Jesus himself. And I don't mean revelation as in you need to know more about the Bible. You know, you should know more about about the Bible. That is amen to that. You should go to more small groups. That's not what I'm saying. You should go to every Sunday service. That's not what I'm saying. But it is a discovery of something you didn't know before, something in your heart that was closed that he opened, and he came into that dark place. It opens your heart to know him and receive him better. And so John chapter 4 and our verses are going to be verses 15 through 26 are actually going to give us this Jesus revealing himself to this Samaritan woman. And and by the end of it, you're going to go, oh my gosh, why doesn't she get it? Doesn't she see that it's Christ? I mean, I know. And you go, well, that's right, because you need a revelation. And, And that revelation comes from Christ himself. And he has to do it through the power of his spirit. And so let me give you... Uh, uh, some brief context, and, um, and then we'll, we'll jump right in, and then I'm going to pray. So first, um, if you heard the sermon about, uh, I don't know, months back in John chapter 4, the beginning of it, we began by seeing that Jesus was traveling, and you can see, if you have your John chapter 4, you can see this uh, in verse chapter 3, um, yeah, f- uh, chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, And it basically says that Jesus was traveling from a busy time of ministry in Judea, which is Jerusalem, the southern part of Israel, and now he was moving north, right? And what is, you know, what is the closest, uh, the closest way to get, uh, closest point between two, what is it, closest way to get from one point to another, right? A straight line, right? So Jesus, instead of going straight across, which would have taken him three to five days, he went kind of east and went around the Jordan, okay, five to ten day walk, So the question is why? The Bible tells us that he needed to pass through this place called Samaria, a region that was despised by Jews. And really, Samaritans didn't really like Jews either. Okay, Samaritans were descendants of Abraham. Okay, so they they were both uh, sons and daughters of Abraham. They broke off of the original Jewish nation because they started to do a couple of things. They started adding gods to the Samaritan belief, Uh, not just Yahweh, but more Yahweh's. One. Two, they began to say Jerusalem is not where the center of worship is. It is Mount Gerizim. Okay, that was a different place in, in, in the Judea region. Three, they believed that the Bible was composed of five books, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Okay, they believed that anything after, you know, Joshua on was made up. It is not Scripture. So what happens, right? They didn't have the full version of the Bible. So Jesus comes to this place. Jews do not like them because they have taken their religion and added certain things and still call themselves the people of God, right? So sort of a false religion. And Jesus comes comes to this uh, Samaritan region, comes to a well called Jacob's Well, which was a holy site because according to their belief, uh, Abraham's uh, grandson, right, Jacob, had bought this well, and this is where the people gathered. It was sort of a, uh, as I call it here, a water cooler of the city. 
the way it would work is in their culture, the way you get clean water is not by going to shop, right? right? You, you don't have a shop, right? Or you, you can't just order, right, your Poland Spring online. What you have is you have a well at the center of the city. The center of the city, all the families would gather, most likely Sundays or Mondays, and you would have your sons and daughters, mostly daughters and mothers, carry their pitchers, walk to get the water for the week, and come back home. You would usually come early in the morning or in the evening. That's usually when you would come. You know why? Because all your friends would be there, right? You, you ever had that, you know, your water cooler at work, right? Everybody comes in, and you begin to have that weekly gossip community time. Well, that's what this was like in the first century. The, the, the well water activities was the place to be if you're going to connect with people. And so you go in the morning, and you go in the evening. And so here is where it gets this story, uh, begins to give us a picture of why this is unique to John. Look at verse uh, 6 and 7. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, okay, think about this, right? He's in the middle of the five, of five to ten day trip, right? So this is probably three days in, walking in the heat, 100 degree heat, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, depending on your version, you might have noon, noon. Okay, now, noon was not usually the time people got water. That was the time where you tried to not be around people. Noon was sort of the time where you go really early in the morning so that you don't have to talk to, you know, Aunt Sally, right? You don't have to talk to your friends. You want to be alone. And so Jesus' thirst comes after this long time of ministry, but it happens at this well, at this moment where this woman is, if I could, if, as you will see, and I think many of you have heard this part of the story, is trying to hide some things. It's trying to not reveal certain things about her life that might be so private and so this morning as we think about jesus the revealer of all things i want you to think about a couple of things how one we we tend to keep our hearts closed how god tends to how god usually opens his heart to us and, and really how god always will always go to every extent that he can to reveal all that he is to us and so before we jump in even more into our verses let me just pray amen all right, Father, uh, thank you for this morning. I pray that uh, your word may drive us deeper into a knowledge of you. Um, Lord, I do ask you that um, maybe there are things in our hearts that you need to open, that, that you need to show us, that we need to bring before you. And um, uh, give me humility. G give us humility and uh, help us, Lord, to understand your word and to know that uh, you really want to reveal yourself because you love us, because you want true relationship. Father, we love you. Help us to, to, to feel you, to know you, and to hear more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so here we are, Jesus at the well, and he encounters this woman, as I mentioned to you, at a very awkward time. And, and, and so here's what he tells her, and I think we, you can go right into John chapter 4 again. And this is what he tells her in verse 10. Verse 10. Jesus asks her for water, and she tells them about their differences of being Jew and being a Samaritan. And she answers, if you knew, he answers, if you knew the gift of God and who it, who, it, um, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Okay, living water. This picture was very different than well water. Living water was spring water in her mind. It wasn't water that you had to grab and you had to work for. The living water was the water that just came gushing out of the earth. But Jesus uses this picture of a different type of water than the well water 
to tell her this, that there is a living water that comes from within a person that has had an experience with Christ. And let me, let me just read to you what um, Jesus said later, or what John said later of this, of this idea of the living water. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 38 and 39, I think. All right, let me just go ahead and read this to you. You don't have to go there. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has, uh, has said, rivers of living water, same word here, this is chapter 7, will flow from within them. Here's John's uh, definition. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified or had yet gone to Calvary. So anytime you hear living water, living water, on a, on, a, on a Samaritan level, it's spring water that comes out of the earth, right, out of the rock. But Jesus was not talking about this. He was talking about the Spirit of God. The first thing he reveals to this woman is that we have a need for an ongoing stream of the Holy Spirit from within, from within to the outside. And so he, he begins to, to do this for her. Now look at verse 15, and this is where our verses this morning begin. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water, okay? If I was to ask you, do you want an experience with God that will come out of you, uh, how many would say no to that, right? Probably not many of you. Many of us would say what? Of course I want that thing. I, I want to taste it. I want to experience it. Who wants life and more meaning and purpose? I think there's a, there's a human mechanism, right, that makes us say, yes, I want that. That's probably how it sounded to her. Perfect water, water that I don't have to get from a well, water that's coming out of the ground. I want that water. That's less work for me. We know her motivations, right? One, I want satisfying living water. And two, I don't want to work, right? Do you guys capture that? I mean, what do you notice about her reasons? Just think about it critically here. Just look at the text. What do you notice about her reasons? Do, the, do her reasons seem very, well, because I want to know more of you. I want whatever you offer because I trust you. No. To me, it seems a little bit off point, don't they? A little self-seeking. Jesus speaks of a water overflowing with an end from within a human being. She thinks, natural source of hydration. <laughs> right? God reveals himself, but we often miss God because we primarily focus here, that ever happened to you? We primarily focus on ourselves. I thought about this. Mirrors, think of a mirror, right? I think of how great it is to wake up, you know, check out my hair. How do I look? I look great. You know, I'm ready. I, look, I like a mirror. But, but if you walk with a mirror next to you, you know what you'll do? You just keep looking at yourself. Uh, can I just tell you what your mom told you when you were a kid? You're full of yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because we're naturally inclined to think what works best for me. I know this because uh, people with phones, I see them doing this all the time, right? Because we're, we have selfies. We, we are self-driven people. Jesus talks about living water that is going to change your life. She's thinking, yeah, but is it going to help my like, journey here because I really want to get that water that you're talking about without doing the work, right? We are concerned with the cares of this world. Often we're concerned and we want the Spirit of God so long as... We get what we want from what God offers, right? And so this woman begins here. So she doesn't yet quite understand what Jesus is trying to offer. You guys capture that, right? She doesn't yet quite grasp it. And you're going to see how many times Jesus opens and reveals himself to her. So here Jesus revealing himself that 
here's this Holy Spirit, I want to give it to you, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, I, I don't truly get it. So look at verse, uh, let's go to verse 16. Jesus invites her husband to join to this provision of living water. Look at verse, uh, yeah, verse 16. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. What you said is, uh, just said is quite true. Now, if he didn't get her attention before, what do you think? Right now, uh, okay, wait. This I don't know. Maybe it's more than just water here, right? He, now he's got it. The woman most likely came at noon because she didn't want to talk to anybody, right? Um, I mean, introverts in the house. Do you really want to hang out with all your friends while you're doing your shopping? Probably not, right? You just want to get in and get out. But what about if you have a, a shady past and a past that people may know in your neighborhood, uh, uncomfortable things that you don't want to discuss? Jesus saying, go call your husbands, and then knowing that there's a past there wasn't something easy to probably discuss. Think about yourself and your own life, even those watching online as we think about your life and your skeletons in the, skeletons in the closet, right? Think about a divorce, children who have walked away from the Lord, the loss of a business, brokenness, remarriage, atrocious financial decisions, bad credit, <laughs> all the things that we just go, I don't want to talk about it. I just, that's just my thing, right? See, uh, what you capture from this meaning is this. Look what Jesus says. Again, look at verse 18. Jesus tells her, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your, how many men is that? Six, right? Six. So you have five you been with they're not your husband and the one you're with now is not is not your husband so what does that tell you well, at least we know this that she's in a consensual physical relationship with a man outside of marriage that in itself made her a fornicator that in itself even for a samaritan who only had the first five books of the bible would make her one worthy of stoning this is why i think she came at noon because nobody would be there in the heat of the day she had to do this in order to not talk about these issues or be known or be talked about. But what else can we say? Maybe she had a, a, a liberal view of divorce. Maybe she divorced all five guys. It's terrible. I, we don't know. Maybe she was widowed to five husbands. That's also terrible. Maybe she was abused by, this, by these men. Maybe she had a couple of good husbands who died. Maybe others survived. Maybe now that she had five husbands and was no longer a virgin, she was less valuable she just had to find somebody to take care of her. Maybe it was out of necessity. You guys captured, we don't know any of these reasons, but one thing we know, this is not good for her. A woman, we know this in Jewish law, a woman could not divorce her husband under Jewish law, which was similar to Samaritan law, but a woman could request a divorce uh, to her husband, uh, could request divorce to her husband. Her husband would have to request a divorce through his wife. And some of the things, and the only way you would be able to do so is by her showing proof that her husband wasn't who he was when they got married. Uh, this actually is in the Mishnah, in the oral commentary of the Old Testament. Um, if your husband smelled bad, uh, you could actually uh, bring it up to him and say, you did not smell bad before we got married, but now you do. I want a divorce. Okay, I'm telling you, trust me, when I'm reading this, I didn't know if to tell you, but it was, uh, there's no license here for divorce, but I'm just telling you how it used to be. All right, you could divorce your husband for pretty much anything you wanted. 
as long as he agreed, right? So again, we don't know what, what this is, but one thing we know, look at what he says in verse 17 again. You are right, and then look at verse 18. What you said is quite true, and here's my point here. That as Jesus reveals himself to us, he doesn't come to you with a bat. Okay, he doesn't come to you with a baseball bat and say, I'm going to tell you who I am. I am holy and you're a sinner. Bam! It's not the way Christ reveals himself. He, he leads us into graceful admission of truth. He, in fact, he commends her, right? He, he, wants us, he wants the truth from you. If you want God to reveal himself to you, as he's doing this to this one, you know what he's doing? He's getting the truth out of her because it doesn't come natural to us. And so this is what we see here as we think about Jesus revealing all things to us, is that God wants truth. He wants you to look at yourself and say, I'm a liar and I'm hiding things, Lord, but, but sometimes he needs to get it out of you. No, 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 no pastor, no psychology, even your husband or wife can't do it. The Lord himself has to reveal himself to you and get, uh, bring you into a graceful admission of truth. And I know this is hard, but I love the tenderness of Jesus. You're right. That, that's how I picture it. I don't know about you. I, you're right. You're right. You, you don't have five husbands. You know, you don't have a husband. You're right. What you said is quite true. I feel the tenderness in his voice when he speaks. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, uh, the woman says this. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Now you're getting it. You, you guys see this? Now you're getting it, right? Um, at the very beginning of, uh, in verse 9, if you, if you go up to, to verse 9, she actually first calls him, you are a Jew. Now, as he begins to reveal some things about her life, what does she think? Okay, wait, you're not just a Jew, you're a Jewish prophet. So you see a progression of revelation, okay? Now, uh, you know, I was thinking about this passage of how sometimes many of us, and I had this moment, I, I don't like this term, but I'm going to use it anyway, the aha moment, you know what that is, right? The moment of sudden realization, inspiration, insight, recognition of like, I didn't see that, but now I see it, you know? Um, I, I was thinking about how uh, I first learned to ride my bike, or maybe you can remember that, right? Um, were there tears? Yes. Were there hours of training? Yes. Were there scrapes and bruises? Absolutely. But there was a moment where you balanced your bike, gained some momentum, and you, you, you just clicked, right? And, and that moment is realizing that you didn't know something, and now you know. And this woman here in verse 9 is beginning to grasp something, that he is not just any regular Jewish man. He is someone different. There are moments in life where Jesus becomes more than a person in history, and he's more than just a, uh, a person in a book. There are times where we need to realize and come before God and, and say, Lord, make yourself real to me. I, I want to know that you're more than just a person here in a book. The Samaritan woman doesn't fully understand it, but here's what Jesus is doing. I'm a Jew, yes. I know your past. I'm a prophet. He's leading her into a revelation of who he is. That's what we need this morning, and that's what we need as we come into this passage. Okay, look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. It says, um, and now, look at this change of uh, conversation here. Husband, husband, husbands. Now look at verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem, right? She goes from, at the beginning of the passage, she begins to say, I am, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We shouldn't have any interaction. Jesus says, 
listen, there's issues in your past. I want to talk about them. What does she say? Uh, anyway, your ancestors and our ancestors, you know, she changes the topic uh, rather rapidly. But one thing we know, the moment she, she understands that she's a prophet, what is her first question? Worship. First question is, how do we worship? Her first uh, ideas is, is, how is it that, that you're a prophet and you must know more about this religious topic? So here, I, I think that she was very religious. I think that uh, she, she, she knew uh, the first five books of the scripture. She, she had a reverence for uh, how to worship God, just like many Samaritans did. But she still had questions. The Samaritans uh, uh, the, um, disrupts, uh, disputes Jesus for, here. For, Samar for the Samaritans, Mount Gerizim was the holiest of sites, which is the mountain where this probably well was at the bottom of this, of this hill. And now, as, as they were there, she asked him, and she brings this question about worship. Okay, question about worship. And so I want to say this, that religion can often blind us from what is really important. She, she knew that her faith was true. She knew that there was a reality of God. But as she began to meet Jesus, these, these other questions that she had began to come out. Religion can blind us to what is essentially important, which is Christ himself and what, what, whatever you learn about faith whatever you learn about religion however you were brought up by your parents in the past it, it really doesn't matter to a certain extent until you meet Jesus because we're, we're meant to have a personal relationship with the Lord and so her questions come from a place of not knowing her questions come from a place of she needs a revelation from Christ okay go with me to verse 21 so here's Jesus answering. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or Jerusalem. Verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation comes from the Jews. Now Jesus doesn't give room for controversy. Jesus doesn't give room for argument the peace and understanding of who he is. Believe me. Believe me what I am about to say. Jesus begins to look, and he says this, that there is a time coming where no person will come to this mountain, and no person will even come to Jerusalem. Of course, he's looking at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as he came, as it came through the cross. See, the woman, in some ways, had a religious understanding of God. She understood God on the terms of how to worship physically and worship at a mountain, but she didn't understand the spiritual worship that every person has through the overflowing power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to bring this home here because religion ties up your hands. If you want to know why sometimes we can't lift our hands and we can't truly uh, sing out to the Lord or we can't really, you know, when was the last time you wept before God, right? When was the last time you you came and you just said, I just want to shout to the Lord. I mean, this is what I'm talking about, right? What is it that, that sometimes we're so tied up mentally, physically, thinking about what others think about us? I think it's because we have a view of worship that binds us. We have a view of worship that, that, that basically says, this is how you worship. Yet what Jesus tells us is that worship is in the spirit. Worship is a spiritual here reality as we will see in a little bit. And he says, the time is coming when this is a reality. And so Jesus 
affirms to her that she doesn't know a couple of things, right? She doesn't know, um, uh, she doesn't know how to worship because salvation comes from the Jews. And, and the salvation here is, is Jesus Christ himself. It's not just salvation in general. In fact, in the original language, the salvation has an article. It's the salvation from the Jews, which means it's a person, Jesus Christ. Samaritans are worshiping a, a form of God, worshiping a mountain or a God, but they're not worshiping the salvation from the Jews. And so I think he, the key here is that Jesus is unveil, trying to reveal to her that religion simply doesn't work. And I want you to just think about this, how this all has, has come full circle, right? First, she thought she came for water. Jesus tells her it's spiritual water, right? What else? Jesus tells her there's animosity between the Jews, but now what do you see? Jesus' salvation comes from the Jews, so th there is so many things that she doesn't yet understand as he's having this conversation with her. As I mentioned to you early, they rejected the writing of the prophets, Psalms, historical books in the Old Testament. They were Bible illiterate in many ways. And so this idea of salvation from the Jews, that Jesus was this salvation from the Jews, would be almost a, a faint picture of reality for them. So let me, let me say this, that the, there was an inadequacy to religious worship that Jesus wanted to reveal. There's an inadequacy of worship. How do you worship God? How do you worship the Lord with your family? How do we come before the scriptures and say, Lord, I wanna worship you. Any other worship outside of Christ is a worship that God does not prescribe. And so salvation comes from the Jews. Jesus gets deeper here in verse 23. Verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Let, let me just be simple here. When God says the hour is coming, and he said this in verse 22, the hour is coming is a symbol in the New Testament of the journey that is to come for Christ, the cross his death, and coming resurrection. Jesus would say, the hour is coming for my glorification. The hour is coming for my lifting up. Over and over again, Jesus uses this term, the hour, to describe his journey to death. And so Jesus is saying to this woman that there is a death coming when true, when after this, that true worshipers will come and worship me in an entirely different way. The cross is going to open up a new doorway and pathway for you to come and surrender before me. Both Jews and Samaritans are wrong. Both of you do not worship God in spirit and in truth. And so he combines this idea of spirit and in truth and the need for complete sincerity as people come and worship. So this is, this is important because we cannot worship outside of the gospel. We cannot worship outside of what Christ has done on our behalf at Calvary. If we worship simply out of a place of what we can get from God or what God keeps blessing us with, then we're never really going to function in a true sense, a true sense of worship. The worship that God seeks is both grounded in the personal relationship with Christ and in the personal death of Christ. So Jesus is already foreshadowing, telling this woman, that the worship that you will have will change. Very briefly, will, will change. And what does he say? 
that God is a spirit. So the worship that God asks of us is a spiritual worship. God is not material. Here's what that means. God is not material. He's not bound by places or things. The word spirit is emphatic. God is spirit. Since he is spirit, our worship in him is spirit. Our worship centers right here. Okay? Uh, and this, is, this might be kind of mind-boggling sometimes when you think about, okay, God is a spirit. Jesus is in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is inside of us, yet they're three in one. Right? That's the mystery of the Trinity. Right? And, and so here we have the fact that every person in the world can only worship God on his own, um, on his, on his own commands. And so worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Here's, here's what this means in some ways. That there will be different expressions of worship all over the globe. Worship does not look the same in this church or in any other church. It, it is all different. This is why you can, you can have a glorious expression somewhere in Africa, somewhere in South America, and, and, and even here. And so expressions are different because our worship is a spiritual worship is a worship that primarily goes up to God from our spirit to Him. Now, I think that's amazing that we're not restricted to worship the way, like the church next door worships, that we can worship the way, whatever way we want, that we have a freedom from worship. Religious binds us in worship. Jesus frees us to worship in spirit and in truth. And so the Spirit is calling us this morning to worship God, to worship Him in spirit. But there's another word here that, that we read here. It's not only that God's a spirit, but he must be worshipped in truth. But what does truth mean? Right? Philosophically, it means saying what's true. Right? But that is not, obviously, what Jesus is simply referring to. It's not simply that we come to worship and knowing that my worship is true. That is not simply it. In fact, um, although truth calls us to sincerity, Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is no philosophical truth. Worship happens through the person of truth. When Pilate talked to Jesus and he asked him, what is truth? Jesus stayed silent, if you know that passage, right? You know why? Because Jesus himself is truth. In other words, Jesus is imploring the woman that if you're going to worship God, you're not going to worship in this mountain. You're not going to worship in Jerusalem, but you're going to worship in the Spirit and in the truth who is Christ Himself. You're going to worship in the, tri in the triunity of God. This is how God must be worshipped. When was the last time you worshipped the Holy Spirit? Right? We say, Holy Spirit, I worship you. God, I worship you. Jesus, I surrender to you. It is in this triunity reality that we come and worship God. Worshippers, it's not an option. Worshippers must worship in this way. Why our worship sometimes seems flat is because we find other means to worship in this way. So, okay, so go with me to John, uh, verse 25. Verse 25, hold on one second. Verse 25, so here we go. The woman said, I know Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us okay when he comes he will explain everything to us so so one thing we know that the samaritans did expect a messiah messiah she doesn't call him the messiah but simply messiah even though they didn't have a full understanding she knew that there was more than just uh what she knew jesus's deep explanation of worship 
triggered a thought. You notice? He's no longer a Jew. He's no longer a prophet. Now what? Now she's asking about the Messiah. He's revealing things to her, and she's coming to know more about this man and his purpose. But, but I also think another thing. I think she's just changing the subject again. That's what I think. She's changing the subject at the very beginning, talking about, you know, w- uh, physical water. She's changing the subject about him being a prophet and questioning about worship. And I think that now she's just changing the subject about being a Messiah. She was doing this to delay and move away from a very deep conversation with Christ. And, and here's what I think she was saying. No one can really know the truth except the Messiah until he comes, right? Have you heard people say that? I mean, who knows the truth, right? I mean, I mean Jesus is real to you and is real to me, but I mean, who really knows? I mean, we won't know until the very end, right? Until it all, it'll all pan out. No one really knows how to truly worship God, right? I mean, you can worship your own way and you're totally fine. It doesn't really matter. We do that because we'd rather not talk about it. Because we don't want to deal with what God speaks about our sin. We'd rather not talk about worship or talk about faith with people around us because we do not want the truth to come out before us all. Um, Jesus does not allow for this. Look how he ends, uh, he ends his, his conversation here with her. I, the one speaking... To you, I am he. All right. He's just a sojourner. Yes, he is. Uh, He's just a Jewish sojourner. Okay. He's a prophet. I don't get it. He's maybe the Messiah. No, Jesus says, listen, I am the Messiah. Okay. He he tells her plainly that he is the one who's revealing all these things to her. This is the only time in the entire New Testament that he reveals and says, I am the Messiah. Muslims will actually tell you that there is not one passage where Jesus actually says that he is Messiah. Well, here's, here's one. And he's the only time where he says, I am the Messiah. This word, I am, draws us back, if you know a little bit of your Old Testament, to who? Old Testament, right? When Moses meets, uh, Moses meets God in the burning bush, and he asks him, what is your name? What shall I tell the people of Israel? And he says, my name is I am, <laughs> Yahweh, right? Uh, Y-H. Um, uh, VH, right? That's my name, Yahweh. It's just four consonants. Um, and, and so we added, right, a couple of uh, vowels to make sense of it, Yahweh. Um, but but that, that's what it meant. Anybody hearing I am automatically brings you back to I am, which meant I am self-existent. There's no one before me. I am who I am. I have existed always. I am outside of creation. I've created all things. And so Jesus is not just saying that he's Messiah, but he's actually saying, I am the I am. I am God. This is, in fact, I think one of the key aspects to this passage, that for those who know less and have less access uh, can sometimes receive more opportunity for the gospel. You know, this woman, you know, was probably dejected, you know, suppressed, you know, pushed away from society. But, Jesus, but yet Jesus went to her, and not only gave her an exposition of like the worship of God, exposition of what the Holy Spirit is, you guys see that, but also who He is. And I think this is true that for many of us, we need to come to Him in this way, in a way in which we sometimes don't even know everything. And it's okay to say that, like even she is. Jesus was more than a prophet, more than a Jew. He was Messiah. He declared His own name. And God does not hide this from us, but He reveals it to us. Many of us in this room may not even know Christ yet fully in this way. We may know him as a Jewish man, as a prophet, 
We may know some things about him, but we yet have yet to know him as a person, as the Messiah of the world, a Savior of my life, putting on himself the sin that was mine and placing on me that glorious righteousness that I could stand before God and be holy today. Let me give you just four last things as we close. The revelation of Jesus is for people who least expect it. If you're, if you're, a, super, if you're a super Christian and you're super proud of yourself, oh man, be cautious. If you know your theology really well, and if, I, if we talk to you, you go, yeah, I know, I know. No, no, I got it, I got it. Yeah, 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 I've been a Christian for a long time. No, no, I want the presence of God. Yeah. Oh, oh, be careful. Be very careful. It is a lot better to be like this Samaritan woman who didn't know nothing, who had baggage, and simply comes before and says, I kind of know a little bit. I kind of know more. I heard of a Messiah because your heart will be more ripe to hear his voice. You guys get that? Right? Many times people are in church for a long time and simply dismiss new revelation from Christ, more knowledge of Jesus Christ. If we want to know Christ more, we must have a heart that's humble and that's willing to learn from all that he has to give us. So the revelation of Jesus is for people who least expect it. Two, the revelation, uh, Jesus reveals our past to find life in him. What are the skeletons in our closet that nobody knows? I want to encourage you, find a brother, find a sister, go to them, and be encouraged by them. Jesus reveals our past not to condemn you, not to tell you how bad you are, not to hit you with a bat, but to do surgery with a scalpel so that you can come clean and you can be healed. Three, he reveals himself for worship. The first thing Jesus is going to do in a new Christian or in a person that he's revealing himself in, people are going to worship. I'm telling you right now. First thing, have, and you, you, you heard this, you probably heard this illustration, right? What, have you ever seen a um, um, condemned murderer being set free because something he didn't commit or something like that? And he gets out, and he doesn't just go, thanks, I'll just go back to my daily life. They go nuts, don't they? They go crazy. They're so happy they've been set free. They begin to love people. They begin to tell others about it. They begin to live a life and say, I don't ever want to do that again. I, I didn't do it, but, but man, I want to I live a completely different life. And we begin to worship God in that way. Right? He reveals himself and tells you, you're different now. Our worship is different. And lastly, he reveals his identity for personal relationship. He, he's telling you who he is. He's not hiding himself from you. He, he's, not, he's not playing some game. God, where are you? I don't see you. Um, he's right there. You know, he, he's not here to play with you. He's here to love you. And so he reveals his identity for personal relationship like he did with her. And so with that, I just want to encourage you with that, that the Lord is revealing all things to you. He's willing to reveal all the things that you want to know about your life and, for, and, and especially the presence of God. So let me, uh, so have the worship team maybe come up. We'll just sing one song and then we'll, we'll pray. Let me pray.